This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and truth according to the New Testament. We would love for you to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. As Ben is handing those out, I want to thank the church here at Alma for inviting me to come and play a part in this gospel meeting this weekend. Thankful that you're here on this rainy Friday night to kick the meeting off. And wow, what a kickoff it has been to the meeting. That singing was, was beautiful. Uh, those notes were ringing through this, uh, this room right here in a special way. Uh, it was wonderful singing, encouraging singing. We hope and pray God was honored and God was blessed and glorified through our singing tonight. Um, I'm excited to teach you tonight and also be your teacher uh, Sunday morning. It's an honor to do this gospel meeting with Brother Jay Lloyd, for, uh, an elder from the Wheeler Avenue congregation. He's a man I, I know and admire a lot. And um, I hope you get something out of my teaching. I'm, I'm positive you're going to get something out of Brother Jay's teaching when it's his turn to speak tomorrow night and then again Sunday afternoon. This evening I want us to uh, go to our Bibles and open it up and see what God has to say through His Word tonight about the gospel, I want to I kind of do tonight like Paul did to the Corinthians so many centuries ago in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1. He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. And he goes on to talk about how he'd already preached it to them before and many of it had heard it perhaps many times and they were standing in that gospel. Yet Paul found it important to tell it to them again, preach it to them again. Uh, this may not be the first time. This may be the second, third, fourth, hundredth time you've heard the gospel tonight. The gospel to me never gets old. It never gets old. It's, an old. it's a wonderful, amazing story of God's love, grace, and mercy. And so whether you've heard the gospel once, twice, or a hundred times, I hope tonight you're happy to hear it once more. There may be those who are here tonight who never heard it before. Uh, our young people, for sure, as they grow and mature, need to hear the gospel so it sinks deep into their hearts and minds so that someday they make a choice to put faith in Christ, believe the gospel, and live the lives of faithful Christians. I want to preach the gospel to you tonight in the form of a lesson that I call good news and bad news. And I've handed out the chart. And the lesson as we go through it, you see, uh, will be guided by this chart and by, guided by the scriptures you see on the screen behind me. Let's talk about good news and bad news. Now, frankly, this week, we'd have, we've had our fair share of bad news. Okay? Uh, there's no denying the fact that there have been a lot of things going on in our world the last week which to one degree or another can cause fear, can cause anxiety, can cause concern. Uh, the coronavirus is spreading not only throughout the world, throughout our country. You, if you watch the news every evening, you know it, it's getting closer and closer. There are people in Arkansas starting to contract it. People are more and more concerned about it. Okay. If you turn on the, the news or look at social media, you know it's the topic that everyone's talking about. And there are a lot of different voices in the world tonight telling us a lot of different things. Some people are saying, you know, the, the end is here. It's the end of the world. Some people are saying there's absolutely nothing to worry about. Uh, this situation has sparked an interesting uh, discussion on social media and in the news about fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety, okay? Uh, some people say that, you know, we should just uh, stay away from all forms of fear, all forms of anxiety. I want to tell you something about fear and anxiety. And this, this may shock you. 
I believe fear is something that God made us able to feel for a reason. God gave us the capacity to feel fear at all the right times and in all the right situations for our own good, for our own self-preservation. Fear is something God made us to be able to feel. Okay? Now the problem I think we have at different times is clearly understanding what we ought to fear and what we ought not to fear and understanding when it is the right time to have that fear. You know, the right time to have the fear when I'm visiting the local zoo is when that lion comes up over the fence and starts, starts running at, at me to eat me. That's the time to have fear. That, that fear I have is good. That fear motivates me to run. Fear motivates us to take action and make changes in our life that are for our betterment, for our own good. It's probably not a, a natural or a healthy fear to, to run and hide behind the tree at the zoo when the lion is right there safely behind his cage, okay? That's not the right time or the right place to fear the lion, see? So God made us with the ability to fear fear. And we just have to do our very best to feel it at the right time and feel it in the right circumstances. For example, you know, Jesus talked about fear in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said this, We need to not fear the one who has the power to destroy the body, but not the soul. We need to fear the one who has the power to destroy both soul and body in hell, the lake of fire. Jesus said that. Jesus said there's a time and a place for us to have a, a godly fear of judgment and eternal punishment. And if we're not right with God, we should feel that fear. And that fear is healthy for us. It should motivate us to repentance and to humility and submission and obedience to God. Now as preachers and evangelists, me and Brother Jay, sometimes we, we have to walk a fine line. The last thing we want to do is make people fear if they really have nothing to fear. last thing we want to do is scare the saints, right, into fearing things that they should not be in fear of. On the other hand, the last thing we want to do is give sinners a false sense of security of salvation. You know, in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14, Jeremiah condemned the priests and prophets of the, of the tribe or of the children of Judah during that time because the priests and the prophets said, Peace, peace. And there was no peace. See, they were giving people a false sense of security and hope when indeed there was no hope and peace for the kingdom of, southern kingdom of Judah at that time. See, we as teachers and preachers have to be careful. We want people to feel fear. And let that fear motivate them to make changes and be right with God if that's really where they are in their spiritual life, you see. In, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, 2 Corinthians 5, 11, Paul understood this. He was a preacher, an apostle. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul talked about the judgment. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, right? And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, Paul said, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord... We persuade men. Knowing there's going to come a day of judgment. Knowing we're going to have to give an account to God. Knowing there's a place of eternal punishment. That many people, many people will suffer for all eternity. Knowing therefore that terror of the Lord. We persuade men. We beg, we plead, we try to encourage people. If they need to, to get right with God. I, I want to do that tonight, okay? Let's do our very best tonight to put all the fears of the things going on in the world around us tonight. Let's put those out of our minds because really those fears pale in comparison to the spiritual things that we ought to respect and fear.
Okay? You could catch coronavirus by coming here tonight. Wouldn't be the worst thing that ever happened to you. You could catch coronavirus by coming, you could catch coronavirus and die by coming here tonight. And it wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing that would ever happen to you. Worst thing that could ever happen to you is for you to leave this out without being right with God. See? That's the worst thing that could ever happen to you. That's, that's the worst news, okay, that, that it, we could ever hear. When we stand before God in all eternity, the worst thing we could ever hear had nothing to do with a, a disease or cancer or a virus. The worst thing we could ever hear and come to realize in that great and final day is that we didn't make preparation like we should have to face God. So let's keep these thoughts in mind. Let's focus on the spiritual things tonight. And let's put the earthly things out of our mind. Let's talk about the gospel in terms of good news and bad news. Tonight, it's my job to speak only God's word. 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. That's my obligation. That's my responsibility tonight, to speak things that are true and consistent with God's word. Tonight, I want to be very careful and conscious of the fact that I'm not supposed to add to God's word. Okay? We can't add to God's word. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 6, Add thou not unto his words, the Bible says, lest he reprove thee and thou be found a liar. At the same time, you know, I can't withhold God's word tonight. If, if I stand up here and if I withhold something from God's word that is profitable to you and your soul, I've done you a great disservice. I can't add to God's word, but I also can't hold that word back. Paul told this to the elders of the Ephesian church. He called them to Miletus and had a meeting with them. In Acts 20 and 7, in Acts 20 and 27, he reminded them. He says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He hadn't held anything back to these Ephesian elders that was profitable to them in their spiritual life. You need to listen carefully tonight and check what I say by God's word because there are many false prophets and false teachers in the world today. Okay? And the way that you make sure you're not being deceived or led astray by a false teacher is you check what you're being taught by the Word of God. And I want each and every one of you to do that tonight. 1, Peter 4 and, or 1 John 4 and 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. There are many false teachers in the world today, and they preach many different false gospels. This is nothing new. This is something that was going on even in the first century. Paul wrote to the Galatian churches and he says in Galatians 1 and 7, he says, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. He says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, than that we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And he says it again for, for emphasis, as we said before, so say now I again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, than that ye have received, he says, let him be accursed. I want to teach you the true gospel of the Bible tonight. And, and I hope and pray I can do that. And I hope and pray that you'll be convinced of that by following along in the scriptures. And if you find these scriptures to be the truth, if you find what I say to be the, to be the truth, uh, I hope that it helps strengthen you and I hope that it helps uh, motivate change in your life to be right with God. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul here says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
The word gospel itself comes from two old English words. God meaning good and spell meaning story. So the word gospel literally means good story or good message. It means good news. The gospel is good news. I love being the bearer of good news. Okay, I love to tell people good news. But you know, sometimes good news isn't all that great unless you understand the bad news first. Isn't that true? Let me give you an example. Suppose I rushed into the assembly tonight and I said, Brothers and sisters, I have an announcement. I've got good news. I broke my little finger. Now, many of you would hear that and you'd say, Well, Brother James, how in the world could a broken finger be good news? What if I went on to tell you, well, the bad news was I was in a terrible car accident coming down here. A car accident so violent that the eyewitnesses didn't expect me to come out of that car alive. But I managed to escape with just a broken finger. Ah, understanding the bad news of that terrible car wreck helps you to see how the good news of the broken finger might, might be just that. Okay, A broken finger could be good news in that situation. See, you have to understand the bad news. We have to understand the bad news. I hate being the bearer of bad news, don't you? But I will be the bearer of bad news. If for that cause and that reason, it helps people to greatly understand and more greatly appreciate the good news of the gospel, then yes, I will be the bearer of bad news. I'll tell you the bad news first. So that you can really, really grasp and understand and appreciate the good news of the gospel of God. First piece of bad news I bring to you tonight is sin. Friends, sin is bad news. It's terrible news. What is sin? The Bible does a pretty good job of defining sin for us. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, the Bible says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. The word transgress here means to go beyond the boundary of. God has a law, meaning He has a will and He has certain expectations for us. And He draws a line, He draws a boundary. He says, this is okay, this is not okay. This is good, godly, righteous, this is wicked, sinful, and evil. And He draws the line. He does that in His Word. He teaches us the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. And when we transgress, when we go beyond that boundary that God has set between right and wrong, what do we do? We commit sin. Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law. Sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is a choice that we make. A choice that we make to go beyond and transgress God's law as it's revealed to us in His Word. We can also sin when we know we ought to do something right in the eyes of God, but for whatever reason we choose not to do it. Okay? James chapter 4, verse 17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Well, maybe I'm not over here on the boundary, stepping outside into things that God tells me is wrong in His Word, but maybe, maybe I'm over here, and I know there's some good I ought to do, and I have every capability to do, but for whatever reason, I'm, I'm not going to do it. You know, that's just as sinful, isn't it? To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him that is sin. What I want you to understand tonight about sin is sin is a choice that we make. It's a choice to rebel and do evil in the sight of God. 
Or it's a choice not to do the things that are right and pleasing in His sight. Sin is something we do. Sin is not something we inherit from our parents. Okay? Sin is not something we inherit from Adam. Sin is not a genetic trait. It's not in our DNA. It's a choice that we consciously make. It's not like the color of your hair or the color of your eyes or your stature or the color of your skins. Sin is not something you inherited from your parents. It's a choice that each and every one of us make. In, in, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20, Ezekiel points this out to us when he says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. What's he mean? He explains it in the rest of the verse. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, but the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. My father and grandfather could be the, the most wicked people to ever walk the face of the earth. I don't bear or inherit sin from them. I'm guilty of my own sin. I'm not guilty of their sin. I, I, and when I sin, it's not because they sinned. It's because I chose to sin. Sin is not something we inherit from our ancestors. It's something we choose to do. Our little children aren't born into this world as little sinners. Now, I realize there's some uh, doctrines in, in uh, the Christian world today that teach that children inherit sin from their parents who inser, in, uh, inherit it from Adam and Eve. Little children aren't born into this world as little sinners. Okay? In fact, Jesus looked upon children on one occasion in Mark 10, 14. Mark 10, 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer or allow the little children to come unto me. Forbid them not, he said, for of such is the kingdom of God. Jesus looked at children and he, he saw people that were pure and innocent and righteous in the sight of God. He said, these children are like people of the kingdom. Here to tell you, you can't come into the kingdom in your sin. You can't bring your, your sin into the kingdom of God. You've got to lay it aside and have Jesus take it away for you to come into the kingdom. And when you come into the kingdom of Christ, you come in washed, clean, righteous in His sight. Saved by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus. And when, when Jesus looked on children, He saw a likeness or comparison to those who would be part of the kingdom. He didn't look on those children and say they're filthy, rotten sinners. No, He compared them to those of the kingdom. God doesn't hold us accountable for sin until we mature to a point where we have the capacity to understand the difference between good and evil and we make a conscious choice to choose to do that which is wrong or, or evil in the sight of God. Now many of us have already come to that age of maturity and we can clearly understand what God expects from us. And many of us have made a free will choice to rebel against the will of God. We're sinners. Okay, that's why the Bible says what it does in, in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Those of us who have reached that age of accountability, we understand this, don't we? I could stand up here and preach about it all night, but you understand it. Because you felt it. And you've known it in your heart of hearts. that God wanted you to do this. But in that moment of temptation, you said, no God. I won't do what you want me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. You understand that rebellion. I understand it very well, okay? Because I'm a sinner. And those of us who've reached that age of maturity and accountability understand that rebellion in our heart of hearts. If we'll be honest with ourselves, we understand sin. Because we felt it and we know it. And it brings guilt, doesn't it? 
and it brings shame. That's what sin does. That's why it's bad news. It is bad news. We get caught up in it in a moment of temptation. It promises one thing. It delivers something completely different every time. Sin is bad news. Now, there are people today who walk around saying, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person, and I do a lot of good things. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how much good you've done. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If you're here tonight thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. Maybe, maybe I don't have any sin in my life. You're deceiving yourself. The Bible says the truth's not in you. You're deceiving yourself. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. We've sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when we fall short of God's glory, when we commit sin, committing sin is like committing a spiritual crime against God. Committing a spiritual crime against God. And if you commit the crime, you must do the time. The God that we serve is a just God, and His justice demands that there's a penalty, there's a punishment for sin. God wouldn't be just and holy if He just let sin go by unpunished, unnoticed. If, if He looked down and saw us sinning today and said, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just not going to... I'm not going to worry about that one. You know, there's a lot of people sinning today, and I'm just going to let that one slide by. God won't do that. He cannot do that. For to do that would compromise His holiness his righteousness, and His justice. So every sin that we commit, God sees it, God knows it, and there's a punishment. There's a penalty that has to be paid for that sin. Hebrews 2 and, Hebrews 2 and 1. Uh, Hebrews 2 and 1, it says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, there was a time that angels were the messengers of God and they would bring down messages to mankind. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, if an angel brought a message down to you, you could bank on it, you could count on it. it. It was true. And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. If you disobeyed or went against that word that God had sent down to you through that angel, even if you disobeyed it in the slightest of senses, there was a punishment, there was a penalty associated with that. Every disobedience, every transgression that we commit against God will ultimately receive a just recompense of reward because God is just. He is holy and His holiness and His justice demands that He must punish sin. You know, sometimes, I, I'll confess to you, I'm not a perfect parent. Sometimes my, my kids misbehave. I let them get away with it. I shouldn't. Sometimes I don't administer the proper discipline, the proper punishment, the proper penalty. Well, I, can, I, can, I can talk a good talk. I can tell them, you know, if you do that, this is going to happen. Sometimes you know what happens. They do it, and Daddy doesn't follow through. I've done that. You've done that? God, God don't do that. Because when it comes to holiness and righteousness and justice, He's perfect. He's perfect. He has to punish sin. Sin, and sin will ultimately someday be punished. There's a terrible place where sins are going to be punished for all eternity. And we're going to talk more about that in just a few moments. But for right now, we're just focusing on the bad news of sin. Sin is bad news of the worst kind. And here's why. Because without God's mercy and without God's grace, 
we're left in our sinfulness and we're doomed to pay the penalty for it. See, our sin leaves us lifeless, it leaves us hopeless, it leaves us helpless, and it leaves us lost. That's why sin is such bad news tonight, okay? The good news I have comes to you in the form of a man, the only begotten Son of God, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. God sent His only begotten Son down to this world, and He was born of a virgin. And He dwelt among men, and He walked, and He talked, and He lived the same type of life that you and I live. He felt the same feelings, the same emotions. He had the same heartaches and troubles and trials that we have. But you know, He lived a life unlike your life and my life. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He lived the life that I cannot live and that you cannot live. And that's good news for us. That's good news for us. The good news is this. God would much rather pardon us for our sin than punish us. That's good news. And God has demonstrated that love and that mercy through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus Christ is such good news to you and I. Because of our sin, we are lifeless. Jesus came and He brought us life. He brought us life. John 10 and 10, He said, I'm come that they might have life. That they might have it more abundantly. Jesus came to bring us the life we could not otherwise have because of our sin. Came to give us spiritual life, eternal life. Because of our sin, we are hopeless. Jesus came and He brought hope. And we need hope. Paul knew this hope. He spoke to it. Uh, he spoke uh, of that hope with Timothy when he wrote in 1 Timothy 1.15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He says, of whom I am chief. He says, I'm the worst. But Christ came to save me. There's the hope that we have. We have a Savior who came to pay the penalty that we do not want to have to pay for our sin. Because of our sin, we are helpless. Jesus came and He brought help. We needed help. We couldn't do it in and of ourselves and by ourselves. There was no way to pay the price for our sin. He was the only one who could come and pay it. Mark 2 and 17, Jesus said, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He came to bring help to sinners. Because of our sin, we're lost. We're lost. Jesus came to bring us light. He came into the world. He was the light of the world. He brings light into our spiritual life. He said in John, 12, in John 8 and 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. If it weren't for Jesus, if it weren't for this good news that Jesus came and brought everything we needed, if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have a chance. We wouldn't have hope. Now for those people who are content to go on living their lives and committing their sin and then someday pay the penalty for that sin, Jesus really isn't good news. Okay? But for those of us who would rather spend eternity with God and not have to pay the penalty for our sin, Jesus is the best news, news in the world. 
God's power to save us comes through the form of the gospel. That's what we read in, in Romans 1.16. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. God saves people today. He saves you and I through the power of the gospel. We need to understand what that gospel is. And it's, it's clearly explained to us in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, he says, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. He says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. It's the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, and everything that is implied by these historical facts. Everything that God sent down and provided for us that we could not provide for ourselves through the death, through the burial, through the resurrection of Jesus. In His death, He was that perfect sacrifice. His death was significant because He, he was a sacrifice. He gave his, his own life as a sacrifice for ours on the cross. His burial is significant because you know what? They don't, there's only one way to get buried and that's to die. Okay, his burial is proof of the fact that, yes, he was dead. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, despite what the skeptics will tell you, he was dead, dead as a doornail. That's why they put him in a tomb. Okay? That's why his, his burial was significant, because it reinforces the fact that he was truly dead. He died. He paid the ultimate price for your sin. But the power of God was demonstrated when God raised him up from the dead and gave him life. It's a promise to us that He can do the same thing for us. He will do the same thing for us if we'll put our hope and trust in God. See, the death, burial, and resurrection is so powerful. It's so wonderful. We have a, a sacrifice. We have a Savior who paid the penalty for our sin. He was put in a tomb, but He came forth triumphantly, and He's alive tonight. And we serve a living God. We serve a living Savior tonight. We don't serve a, a, a dead Savior. We serve a Savior who's at the right hand of God making intercession for us because we need it. Our salvation tonight is made possible by the death, by the burial, and by the resurrection of Jesus. God saves us from our sin when we believe and when we obey the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is the only way for us to be saved from sin. There is no other way. There is no other way. No one has the qualifications that Jesus had. No one else has come and lived a perfect sinless life. No one else has willingly took a perfect sinless life and gave it up on a cross. No one else has God brought back forth triumphantly from the grave and set Him at His right hand in heaven and gave Him all power and all authority. Only one person can lay claim to all those qualifications and that's Jesus. Jesus said in John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's good news. It's good news that we have Christ. It's good news that He provides us a way to be saved through His death, through His burial, through His resurrection. But I've got more bad news for you tonight. The bad news is this. And I talked about it a few minutes ago. There's a place where God will someday ultimately punish all sin and all disobedience. And the Bible talks about that place 
as being the lake of fire. Lake of fire is real. It's found in God's Word, not once, not twice, but many times. And Today there are preachers and teachers who try to, try, uh, try to interpret it away, try to take it completely out of the Word altogether. Friends, there's no way to do that and be, do justice to the Scriptures. It's a real place. I don't like to think about it any more than you do. There's nothing I can say tonight to take it out of God's Word. Let's read what the Bible says about the lake of fire. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verse 7. Paul tells the Christians at Thessalonica, he says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction, from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. The Bible would have us to understand here that there are two groups of people upon whom God will someday pour out His wrath in flaming fire. It's them that know not God, the Bible says, and them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are two groups of people who will suffer everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. It's them that know not God. The Bible says, "...and them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ." Jesus is coming back someday. That can either be the best news in the world or the worst news in the world for us. Depends on whether or not we're serving Him. Depends on whether or not we put our faith in Him and we trust Him. But He is coming back. And the Bible tells us plainly when He comes back, He will usher in and bring about a, a great eternal punishment. And sin will be punished someday in that lake of fire that the Scripture speaks of. I believe John gives us some insight into what the judgment day will, will be like. I believe it's what he's describing here in Revelation 20 verse 11. When he says, I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell, the Bible says, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Jesus is coming back someday, and when He does, there'll be a, resurre a resurrection. There'll be a resurrection of the righteous and the ungodly. And there'll be a judgment. And everyone will be judged, the Bible says here, according to their works. Unbelieving, unrepentant, unforgiven sinners are going to be cast into this lake of fire for this sec to experience this second death forever and ever. It will not be pleasant. It'll not be pleasant at all. There's another place in Revelation that I believe, believe speaks of that place in words that we can understand. Revelation 14 and 10, it talks about how they shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the land. And, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. Just, just think about that. Fire and brimstone. Torment. No rest day or night. It's a terrible place, an utterly terrible, terrible place. The lake of fire is bad news that's just going to keep getting worse and worse for all eternity. 
the good news is, is there's an alternative to spending eternity in the lake of fire. And that's spending eternity in the presence of God in heaven forever and ever. And you think about how bad the lake of fire is going to be. Heaven will be that much better and then some, okay? Heaven will be just as wonderful and as amazing and as peaceful and as enjoyable as the lake of fire will be torturous and destructive for all eternity. Heaven's going to be wonderful. I like, I like to think about heaven. I try to think about heaven as often as I possibly can because that's where I'm going. I, I want to stay focused on where I want to go. Heaven will be wonderful. We stopped reading there in Revelation chapter 14, verse 11. We keep reading in Revelation 14, verse 12. It says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. From henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Blessed are those who die in the Lord, who have kept the faith of Jesus, who have kept the commandments of God. It's time for them to rest from their labors. Heaven will be a wonderful place of comfort, joy, and rest. Heaven is for those who die in the Lord. Heaven is for those who keep the commandments of God. Heaven is for those who, who keep the faith of Jesus, according to what this verse tells us. And just listen to what heaven will be like. You know, the book of Revelation, I don't understand everything in the book of Revelation. Far from it. But I have a general idea, and I think I'm right, that Revelation 22 does give us a glimpse using human language as to the wonders, the joy of heaven. Okay? Revelation 22, verse 1, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielding her fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And His servants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face. His name shall be in their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light." And they shall reign forever and ever. Doesn't that sound wonderful? I don't know what all that's going to be like. Okay, and I, I don't know how much of that's literal, how much of that's figurative. i got no idea. All I know is it sounds good. It sounds good, and I want that. I, I, want, I want that. I don't want to have to spend eternity in the lake of fire. I want the good news. The good news is heaven. What a wonderful place to spend all eternity. And you can have it. We can have it. We put our trust in Christ, we put our faith in Him, we obey Him and serve Him. We can enjoy this place for all eternity. The bad news, friends, is this. Many will not put their faith in Christ. There are many today whose hearts are hardened, whose minds are corrupted, whose wills are rebellious and stubborn, and they will not put their faith in Christ. Those who don't put their faith in Jesus will never be pleasing in the sight of God. Okay, Hebrews 11 and 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. 
For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without faith, it's going to be impossible to be pleasing in the sight of God. Those who never put their faith in Christ will die in their sins. If you don't put your faith in Christ, you will die in your sins. Jesus said it himself in John 8 and 24. I said, therefore unto you, Jesus said, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, Jesus says, ye shall die in your sins. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. If we don't put our faith in Christ, we will die in our sin. And we've talked about the place that God will ultimately punish those sins someday, haven't we? It's bad news. It's bad news. Because of unbelief and because of a lack of obedient faith, many will be destroyed. Many. Many are walking that path to destruction today. Jesus spoke about that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, when He said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, the narrow gate. He said, For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. He said, And many, not a few. He said, Many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few. He says, Few there be that find it. There's two paths you can take through life. There's a narrow way that leads to eternal life. And that is a way of faith and obedience to the Lord. There's a wide way. It's easy to walk. Just, Just do nothing. Just live your life. Disobey God. Transgress law. Transgress His law. Rack up all the sin you can rack up. You know, get the most out of life you can get. Many people walk that way each and every day. Jesus says the path that they're on leads to eternal destruction. The good news is you and I get to choose what path we want to be on. I believe that. I don't believe that your destiny, your eternal salvation, was predetermined by God before the foundation of the world. I believe you have a choice. We get to choose which path we want to be on. We can choose if we'd want to, if we desire to. We can choose to walk that narrow way which leads to life. We don't have to be one of the many walking that wide way that leads to eternal destruction. You get to choose which path you want to be on. The bad news is that many will not have the faith in Christ that's needed to walk that straight and narrow way. The good news is, as I've just said, you can have faith tonight. You can put your faith in this Jesus that I preach unto you. You can put your trust in this Savior. He's the only one that can save you from your sins. Let's talk for a moment about faith. What is faith? Hebrews 11.1 Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is defined in, in a belief in things not seen. For example, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you see it with your own eyes? Did you see it? Did you see them hang Him on that cross? I didn't see it. You didn't see it. You weren't there. Did you see them lay him in that tomb? I didn't see it. You didn't see it. Did you see his resurrection? Were you a witness to his resurrection? First-hand eyewitness? No. And I wasn't either. But you know, I believe. I have faith in that death, that burial, that resurrection. Just as much as if I were there that day and saw it with my own eyes, I have faith. That it's real, that it happened, just as the Scriptures explain that it did. Faith comes first by hearing the facts of the Gospel, as we find them there in the Bible. Okay? That's why I'm preaching the Word of God to you tonight. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why I'm preaching so many of these scriptures. It's through teaching the word of God that seeds of faith are planted in the hearts of men and faith can take root in people's heart through the preaching of the Word of God. The power is in the Word of God. The power is, is not in me and my ability or, or the suit that I wear or the shiny shoes I have on my feet. That's not where the power is. The power is in the Word of God and that's what people need and that's why we're, we're looking at Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. Because these things we're talking about are true. And I want to put them in your heart and mind so you can believe them, so you can have faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The bad news is that many uh, will not have faith and many will not obey the gospel. It's not enough to just put our faith in the gospel and say, well, I believe it. Sounds, sounds good to me, I believe it. And then go on about your way. If we truly believe the gospel, if you truly believe that the only sinless man that ever walked the face of the earth died for you, and gave up his life for you, and paid the penalty for your sin that you deserved, if you truly believe that, if you can imagine what it would feel like to give up one of your children for the sins of men like Adolf Hitler, and Osama bin Laden, and Saddam Hussein, and murderers, and rapists, and liars, and cheaters. Could you imagine what it'd be like to give up your, your only beloved child and sacrifice them to pay the price for the sins of the entire world? If you truly believe that there's a God in heaven who made that sacrifice for you, that ought to motivate you to want to change that ought to motivate you to want to obey. You know, He gave up everything for me. Therefore, I want to give up everything that I ought to for Him. I want to, I want to put sin out of my life. Sin separates me from God. I don't want to be separated from that God who loves me like that. I want to be close to Him. So I need to make a change in my life. I need to repent. I need to start obeying God instead of rebelling against God. Rebellion against God is what sent Jesus to die that terrible death on the cross. So I'm not going to rebel against God anymore. I'm going to obey. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to submit to God and I'm going to obey God. Many people will not put their faith in Christ. You can put faith in Christ. The bad news is many people will not obey the gospel. We have many people today who hear the word of God, but very few people who want to do the Word of God. We have a lot of hearers, but we don't have a lot of doers today. James 1.22 says, But be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. It's not enough to come here tonight and hear the sermon and say, Well, I heard it and it sounds good. And just go on about your life. We need to respond in obedience to, to God's Word. It's not simply enough to hear it. We need to believe it and we need to obey the Gospel. If we hear the gospel but we don't obey the gospel, we're deceiving ourselves into thinking that we're right with God. We're deceiving ourselves into thinking that we have salvation. 
What are going to be the consequences for not obeying the gospel? What if we hear it and we believe it, but we don't obey it? We don't make that change in our life. We don't submit to the Lord. What will be the end of you and I if we don't obey the gospel? We've already read this scripture from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Jesus is coming back in flaming fire to take vengeance on them who know not God and obey not the gospel. So we see it's not enough to just believe the gospel alone. We, we need to obey it. We need to be happy to yield obedience to it. Not like it's a burden or, or something we regret having to do. We ought to with joy be willing to obey the gospel of Christ. In light of what He's done for us, with joy we ought to respond in obedience to the gospel. The bad news, many people will not obey the gospel today. The good news is you can obey the gospel. You don't have to be one of the many. You can obey the gospel tonight. You can make that choice. You can make that decision to make a change in your life. To stop living in rebellious sin and start living for the sinless Son of God. You can be obedient. You can be a hearer and a doer. In Hebrews chapter 5 verses 8 and 9 it says, Though He were a son, that's Jesus, the only begotten Son of the Father, yet learned He obedience by the things which He suffered. Jesus humbled Himself and submitted Himself completely to the will of God, even through so many sufferings. Jesus learned obedience to His Father first for Himself before He ever asked for obedience from you or me. He learned it first for Himself by coming to this earth and living a life of complete submission to the Lord. And what does He ask of us? What does He ask of us? Verse 9, And being made perfect or complete, He, that's Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. Jesus wants to be the author of your eternal salvation. But we have to trust Him, don't we? And we have to follow His example of obedience. He learned obedience first for Himself, submission to God in all things. He wants us to obey Him so that He can be the author of our eternal salvation. Romans chapter 6 verses 3 to 6 teaches us a great deal about what it truly means to obey the gospel of Christ. There's a lot of confusion in the religious world today about how a person obeys the gospel. There's a lot of different teachings, a lot of different doctrines about that. I'm just going to give it to you straight from the Bible, okay? From Romans chapter 6. This passage here teaches us how we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not, it's not hard, it's not complicated, it's very simple. Romans chapter 6 verse 3, it says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. It says, Therefore we're buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Okay, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. What is Paul talking about here? He's talking about how in baptism, water baptism is under consideration here, we have an intimate encounter with the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. We talked about the gospel earlier in this lesson. And we saw from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 to 4 that the gospel was the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. 
Those historical facts comprise the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. We obey that gospel by being obedient to Christ in water baptism. Paul said, know ye not that so many of us as are baptized into Jesus Christ are baptized into His death. When we're baptized, we're baptized into the death of Christ. He died for us. We're baptized into that death. Paul said, therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death. Just as He was buried for us in baptism, we're buried with Him. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, there's His resurrection, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We come up out of the waters of baptism, washed clean from our sins by the blood of Jesus. We are raised up out of that watery grave of baptism, raised to walk in a new spiritual life in the same way God raised up Jesus and gave Him, uh, gave him life again. You see how Jesus was, He died for us, He was buried for us, He rose again for us, and in baptism we die with Him, we're buried with Him, we're raised up to walk in a new spiritual life with Him. This is the only way I know that the Scripture teaches us to obey the gospel. This is the only way I know that you can obey the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Scripture teaches this is, a, this is the, the plain and simple way to do that, to receive this water baptism, to die with Him, be buried with Him, to be raised up, uh, to walk in newness of life out of the waters of baptism. I don't believe the Bible teaches us any other way to obey the gospel. I don't believe the Bible teaches us that we obey the gospel through, through praying a prayer and asking God to forgive us. I mean, I, prayer is wonderful. It's great. I'd never tell anyone not to pray. We need all the prayer we can get. We should pray often. But the Bible teaches us that we don't, we don't pray to obey the gospel. This is how we obey the gospel, according to Romans 6. The Bible doesn't tell us that we ask Jesus into our heart to obey the gospel. I want Jesus in my heart every day, all day. I need Him there. But the Bible doesn't teach us that, that we obey the gospel by asking Jesus into our heart. It teaches us we obey the gospel. We obey the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus through baptism. So that's why we teach and preach baptism so often. That's why we, we teach it passionately. Because pe people in the world today who are confused about this need to know the truth. Okay, this is God's prescribed method or way of obeying the gospel. The gospel. And that's why we encourage people to obey the gospel and baptism according to the Scriptures. You can obey the gospel tonight. You can obey the gospel today and find the salvation that you so desperately need. The bad news is this. Tonight might be your last chance. That's the bad news. Tonight might be your last chance. Jesus is coming back. I don't know when He's coming back. I just know we need to be ready. You need to be ready for His return. In Matthew 25, 13, he, he gave us the parable of the ten virgins, and then He said, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. He's coming back. What day and hour, I don't know. All I know is that I want to be ready, and I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready to face the Lord. If the Lord delays His return long enough, we will face death at some point. We'll die. We'll leave this life. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It's appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. But we do have right now. We have this moment. We have opportunity. As long as we have breath, 
As long as we have life, we have opportunity to get right and be right with God. And tonight may be your last chance. I don't know. I don't know. The good news is you can be saved tonight. You don't have to go on another day, another week, another month, another year in the sinful condition that you're in. You don't have to live any longer under the condemnation of God because of your sin. You have a Savior who wants to take away that sin. People today are scrambling and putting so much energy and effort and resources into a vaccine. A vaccine that will take away a virus. Tonight, I put the blood of Christ before you. It's a solution that's far more powerful than any vaccine. It can wash away your sins. A vaccine for the coronavirus might prolong your life a few more decades. The blood of Christ will save your, from your sins and wash your soul and prepare you for eternal life with God in heaven. The blood of Christ is far more valuable than any vaccine or medicine man may invent. And it's free. It's free. It won't cost you a thing tonight. It'll cost your, you your faith. It'll cost you your trust in God. It'll cost you some humility in humbling yourself to God. That's all it'll cost you tonight to get right with God if you need to. You can put your trust in the gospel. You can obey the gospel tonight. You, there's no reason why you should delay. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the best news I could possibly bring you tonight, the gospel. Powerful enough to save you tonight. Jesus says, come. He says, come unto me. I'll give you rest. I'll take away that burden of your sin. I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. I'll give you eternal life. Jesus says, come. I just pray that you'd accept the invitation of Christ tonight. Come to Him. Trust Him. Obey Him. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Christ. If you haven't obeyed the gospel in baptism, do that today. Be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. Have that intimate encounter with the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. If you haven't made the choice to, to, uh, to be baptized, do that. And don't delay any longer. You can be saved tonight. Don't turn a deaf ear to such good news as this tonight. Listen, don't harden your heart to such good news as this tonight. Okay? My final plea, my, my final word for you tonight is... The words of Ananias to, to Saul in Acts twenty two sixteen. Ananias told Saul, the Apostle Paul, he said, Now why tarriest thou? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Ananias said, Saul, what are you waiting for? I leave you with the same question tonight, friend. If you need the Lord, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized. Let the Lord take care of your sin tonight. Let Him wash you clean tonight. If you're here tonight and you need to respond to that gospel invitation, you need the prayers of the church, please don't hesitate. We're here to help you. We want to help you spiritually. If you need our help, if you need the Lord's help, make that need known by coming forward. Have a seat on the front and we'll help you. We'll assist you while we stand and while we encourage you with the song of invitation. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons, subscribe to our iTunes podcast and check our website 
at www.almachurchofchrist.com and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.